0: everyone this is sam black with drafting archetypes and this week we are doing something a little bit different the cube decathlon finals event is happening this saturday so we're taking a break from covering crimson vow to discuss the newly implemented fresh version of the arena cube uh, this arena cube is different in that in addition to all of the mystic archive well i'm not every single mystic archives card but in addition to adding a swath of mystic archives cards that maybe they were in the previous run i don't remember for sure and it also has the new arena only cards that includes some powerful stuff this iteration of the arena cube is by my first impression substantially more powerful than most of the previous ones and a little bit more balanced. In the past, I've felt like the top five to 10 cards really put the rest of the cards to shame. It felt like if you cast like an absolute top tier card, that should generally win you the game. And now I think that the top tier is a little bit more balanced and a little bit bigger. I think that Holebreaker Horror in particular might be kind of in a league of its own, but it is a seven-mana spell. You can get under that with the aggressive decks every now and then. You can line up a hard removal spell to answer it or something, but it has felt really impressive to me. But there's still the, you know, the the tier of like Larhold Command and Sublime Epiphany and Esekus Chariot and the Great Henge. That tier feels like it has a lot of new additions and stuff like discover the formula as well as a lot of the archive cards. So that means things are just a bit flatter, which I think is an improvement. I like that change. And I also think that it means that my previous strategy that was kind of to play really long games with a control deck that understood what those top cards were and tried to have them and tried to have answers to them, that strategy feels a little bit less impressive because I think my opponent is just more likely to have a lot of their own good cards. And while there are very strong answers, there are a lot of strong threats and a lot of strong ways to attack people. Magic over the last X years has pushed in a very proactive direction. And this cube is definitely very full of threats that give you immediate value and things that are difficult to answer in one way or another, or things that make it hard to just be like, oh, I have Counterspell and Memory Lapse and Dismiss and I'm going to just play a control game because things slip through the cracks and... When you're trying to line up answers you need the right answers and there are a lot of really good creatures if you're just like well that's okay i just need to prioritize creature removal because they are good creatures the problem is that like most of the time that you use a creature removal spell on a creature you're falling behind on some resource you're usually getting ahead on mana in exchange for falling behind on something else like their creature did something when it came into play. You use a removal spell on it that cost less mana than the creature, but they still have whatever their creature did. That still happened. And so when you have efficient answers like Swords to Plowshares and Lightning Bolt and you kill a creature with it, that's only good for you if you can leverage the mana advantage. And that's not impossible, but it does require things lining up right such that you can Spend your mana on everything. And it means that it's easy to have too many answers. Because if your deck is just cheap answers, you know, you, you need your memory deluges and stuff that are going to pull you ahead while you're getting that mana advantage. It's a really tricky balancing act. Now, that balancing act is easier in best of three. And fortunately, if you're trying to be in the controlling space, the cube will be best of three. So you can uh, sideboard and tune how many answers you have and how many card draw spells and stuff like that you have. However, if you are operating in the three plus color space that I've discussed before in my control decks, you really want to prioritize non-basic lands. And the effect of that is that you often have little to no Room for sideboard cards. And so you don't actually get to leverage the sideboarding aspect of Best of Three very well if you're playing a deck that has a lot of colors, which is another kind of spin on or twist from, you know, if you're trying to draft the way that I've discussed in my previous cube discussions about playing multicolor control decks. Those were very much drafted for best of one, where there's no cost to your deck building in having a bunch of lands and not having a sideboard. Now, there's more of an incentive to play a one or two color deck so that you don't have to prioritize lands, not just because you get to spend those picks on other cards for your main deck, but also it means that you get to spend picks on cards for your sideboard so that you can adjust things appropriately. It's a trade-off, though, of course, because... There are really good cards in lots of different colors, and you will likely see good cards that you have to pass if you're only playing one or two colors. Where I think I'm leaning right now is, I think that it is best to be proactive. I think that I don't want to be just trying to, like, get some two-for-ones with some commands unless I have really, really exceptional end game card quality. Uh, so... Hole breaker, Horror, Sublime Epiphany type cards in reasonable density. There are a lot of expensive blue cards that are kind of in that space Discover the Formula, Shark Typhoon, Scholar of the Lost Trove. But, uh, and then there are other cards that aren't blue that can exist in that space. But I think that, and um, I also think that if you're going to be in that space, it's extremely important to have at least one sweeper it's really hard to like line up all of your answers perfectly and so you need uh some you need something to bail you out and if you don't have a sweeper you might be able to be a sufficiently high impact threat so like something like starnheim unleashed or Elish Norn might be sufficient but you need to be able to like catch up from substantially behind especially if you're playing a reactive rather than proactive deck I would also point out that if you have played, arena cube broadly, and you're not really sure about like the names of the different arena cubes and which cards are in the cubes that have which kinds of names and stuff. I think that this cube is more generically good cards that incidentally support some synergies unless this color pair is doing this thing, this color pair is doing this thing than some cubes you might be familiar with. So if you are someone who has done a lot of drafting, like black-white life gain or green-white counters. I don't believe that those things are explicitly supported in the same way in this cube. Uh, There are still some of the better cards that existed in those decks, but um, this isn't a cube that's designed to really lean into explicit linear synergies. You still very much want to have a game plan and you want to understand what your deck does and be aware of synergies. And you can still have life gain sub themes uh, with which of the moors, which of the moors as your kind of like big payoff or whatever, you can still have mayhem devil decks and you can still have facet decks and stuff, but the cube is less strictly dedicated to pushing you into one of those th- places. Which means that in general, you're going to be a little bit more looking for just like raw card quality. Also, uh, some of the cubes that have really tried to push you into that space had extremely limited interaction. This cube has a lot of good removal spells. Really no shortage of, you know, greatest hits that are available on Arena. Unholy Heat, Lightning Bolt... A braid, swords to plowshares, lightning helix, uh, all the black stuff, all the blue counter spells. It is very easy to trade cards. So, my thinking was because my, my before playing with this iteration of the cube, my expectation was okay, there's a bunch of really strong, cheap removal, lightning bolt, swords to plowshares, and a holy heat. Uh, lightning helix, in particular, do exactly what I want uh, to let my control decks beat aggressive decks i really really like to have some of that incidental life gain uh that lightning helix and ties command and lower hold command offer it felt like there was enough of that as well as just like a lot of stuff to like kill you know the sheep like red and white aggro creatures and so i could just play some of that and then play some of the big blue stuff the problem with focusing on the cheap removal encounters and big blue stuff Is that I think it leaves you awkwardly positioned against the green blue decks, which are going a bit bigger, and like your red removal is going to be really bad. And they're going to be able to kind of like ramp and put out threats that your removal doesn't line up well with. And it can be really difficult to get out from under the like green decks if you are drafting to not lose to the like mono white, mono red, and some kinds of black aggro decks. So I think that's the main squeeze that you need to navigate if you're trying to play in the control space. I think that the dedicated like red and white aggro decks are probably pretty good if you're not fighting someone for them. I think that if two people at the table try to draft the same one of those, I'm guessing their decks are going to be... Quite bad i think you need to have a decent number of the like best cards in those archetypes and you also need to just like end up with enough of the curve filler stuff that you won't necessarily find the right aggressive curve filler if you're competing with someone else in your archetype because again there are so many like removal spells and stuff in this cube that there isn't like an excessive number of like red aggressive creatures if two people are looking for them. If you're an aggressive player and you're looking to play one of those monocolor aggressive decks, you need to pay a lot of attention to the cheap aggressive creatures in your color that you pass. And if you table all of them through pack one, you are almost certainly good to go. But if you're like, if you see a Rimrock Knight second pick and it's not their 10th, you need to reevaluate where you're at and you need to be prepared to pivot. Because if you're not tabling Rimrock Knight and you're playing mono-red, uh, you're going to be fighting somebody and it's going to be tough. But I, I do think that if you get all of the aggressive stuff in one of the colors, I think that it is not difficult to punish the people who are trying to go bigger, especially because I think that the blue and green decks battling against each other force them to not prioritize the second tier removal. So while they're still going to play their lightning bolts and abrades and unholy heats, they're not going to be main decking or like prioritizing drafting the like play with fires and pillar of flames and, um, lava coils and stuff like that. So they're going to have a few removal spells, but not necessarily enough to really keep you in check. I am not very likely to try to do that myself, but it's not because I don't think it's a winning strategy. It's just not my preferred way to play cube for enjoyment. And I am going to be playing the decathlon for enjoyment the same way that I do essentially all magic. As far as green goes, I think that there are a couple of approaches to it. You can be the like base green creature deck. You can be uh, like splashing green for gold cards and some amount of like ramp and Oracle of Moldiah type stuff in a control deck. Or you can be like a base green multicolor deck. There are a lot of very good green cards, but I don't think that it's a good base for an aggressive deck. The only cube where I've really liked green as the base for an aggressive deck was an early version of a green-white counters cube that just had a lot of like really good early counter stuff. In this cube, I think you want to be more like even if you're playing green creatures, it's going to be more ramping into Thrag Tusks and Elder Gargaroths. And likely what you want to be doing is in that space, if you have like great henge or like vivian or some other really powerful card that rewards you for having a lot of green creatures in your deck but then the other place you can be is just the ramp stuff and then some good blue cards and then probably slashing some stuff all of that's pretty well supported green green has a lot of power the other thing i guess if, if i'm saying that i think that the narrow the aggro decks are narrow unless you're sure that they're open you might want to avoid them and you want to be proactive, I think green is a really good way to be flexible and proactive. So I think it's a pretty safe way to draft. I think black is the weakest color. I I think black is, it's weird. So there, there was a time in the past where, like in the distant past, I don't know why I'm getting into cube history, but there was a time when every cube had like, these random horrible black aggro creatures that nobody should ever put in a deck, like carnifish and Douthy Slayer, and nobody knows what these cards are. I don't know. How I'm talking about them. And it took a really long time for people to try for cubes to stop trying to support black aggro with like horrible 22s for one or whatever. And now there are enough good mid range cards that the black decks aren't trying to be just like bad red decks. And They're doing their own thing. But the thing they're doing is a little bit too small ball, fiddly, synergy stuff. And there are a lot of, you know, reassembling skeletons and null priests of Oblivion and Dusk Legion Zealots that are just not as good as the cards in the other colors. And there are a few cards that are... Big and impactful, like Rankle and Yogmoth and Lolf. But there's just a lot of filler that most decks don't want. If you think that people are gonna know that and avoid black, you can, you know, maybe find a table where you get all the black and uh you have enough, you know, demonic tutors and whatever other random good black cards there are, and you manage to like make it work. But my default is going to be to substantially punish a card like before I've even taken anything, treat black mana symbols as harder to get than mana of any other color. So not that I'm not willing to play any black cards, but it's like I'm going into a third color even before I have my first two colors. Once I start to get a couple of black cards, then it can eventually become a primary color and I can get over it. But there's a threshold they have to pass because I think that... Basically, no matter what mana, like what really broad game plan you're on, like how aggressive you are, how controlling you are, how mid range you are, I think that there's a better way to accomplish whatever you would be trying to accomplish with black cards, with cards in other colors. There are enough good black cards that I, I don't want to say just, you know, never take a black card for any reason, but be very careful about it. Yeah, that's all I can say there. Obviously, with this podcast in general, I like to, uh, I feel more comfortable being like, here's an archetype, here's how to draft it. But uh, I both want to cover a broad swath so that I'm giving some useful information to everyone, regardless of the play style they're interested in for the decathlon, since there's only going to be one episode of this uh, before that event. And also, I haven't resolved what I think is the best thing, or even how to draft it. So this is what I have for you. With uh, my big picture thoughts out of the way, I think the best way to proceed is with questions. While I don't have a lot of the normal parts of the structure of my podcast, let's try to pretend we're doing something vaguely normal here. And so I do want to thank my newest uh patron over at patreon.com slash drafting archetypes uh conrad thanks for the support anyone else who's interested in that (laughs) where that is you know whatever strange mix of supporting the podcast and getting extra content might motivate you please check out our offerings at patreon.com slash drafting archetypes and all of you here in Twitch. If you have any questions about anything you'd like me to discuss in the cube, uh, let's let's get to them. First question, is there a way to start that flexes between red, aggro, and control? I mean, lightning bolt is obviously a great way to do it. Obviously, you're going to want more than just that. So this is obviously the reason you'd want to... This is, I mentioned that uh, if you're in red, you want to be careful to be able to flex out or you know maybe go into aggro red if the aggro red cards are tabling. So there are cards that are just generically good. Uh lightning bolt, Magda, even Dragonkin Berserker is like okay in a normal deck. Battlecry goblin is like good enough that you can like maybe flex into like red something else aggro or something. There's, you know, Bone Crusher Giant obviously, uh Season Pyromancer but I think that you know, if you are planning to be red for some reason, you're likely to see some picks where you just take a reckless storm seeker, and you're like, okay, if I end up in an aggressive red deck, maybe I can play this in a two-color red aggro deck. But if I somehow shift into like, well, I have some red spells and I'm going to pair them with blue spells and become a controlling deck, this isn't going to be part of your game plan. Basically what I'm saying is it's okay to have to abandon a couple of cards. If you find out, okay, you know, I took seven cards toward, toward red aggro, two or three cards that were, you know, maybe just like strong cards where there wasn't a good red aggro card, and I didn't table you know, whatever random clear signal I passed, Earthshaker, Kenro, Rimrock, Knight, one of those things that told me somebody else is in exactly this space. So now I'm looking to pivot out. It's okay to have wasted a couple of picks and still choose to get out once you know that it's not going to be there. This touches on, so little tangent here. I was listening to Lords of Limited, Ben's discussion with Carl, 2 Cubed about when to lock in your colors. And one thing that I think is really important to this to a discussion about locking in your colors is the idea of floating test cards. So for example, in Crimson Vow, I like to draft a certain way when there's a witness to the future available. And sometimes I will take a witness to the future when I see it, other times I'll try to table it. And if it doesn't table, then I know someone else is trying to do that thing and it tells me not to. Uh, a more clear way to do this is with any gold uncommons. If you're like, I only want to be, say, blue-green if I know nobody else is blue-green. So I see an early spite of blue-green 2-3 spider and... I choose not to take it, but I pay attention to it. Let's say I'm already in blue or green. And I see this and I'm like, I could take this and commit to blue-green, but I want to make sure the coast is clear. So I'm going to send this around the table. And now until it gets back, I'm going to try to stay mono-blue or mono-green so that I'm flexible and I can move in move into blue-green if it comes back and move into somewhere else if it doesn't come back. And... This also works with any Commons that like someone would very likely want in a particular archetype but not want in that color if they're not that particular archetype. say uh, you know some something broadly in the like uh, the courier bat signaling being in black, white specifically or whatever. And I think that like you know, specifically passing a card that you might want to take to gather information is, a thing that you can do. And other times you're not passing a card just to gather information. You're taking a card that you need and seeing that you passed something and using that to gather information. And I think that it's just important to do that, to like really, really pay a lot of attention to the information that you can gather by floating cards in the beginning of your draft, especially if you're thinking about being a monocolor deck. So sorry about the tangent there. Hopefully it's... Useful or interesting for this cube or any other drafting. A uh, question two. <laughs> you wanted Jess guy to be the best going into this cube. Do you still think Jess guy? So yeah, I would say that my uh, first impression is oh yeah, there are a lot of good green cards. I don't want to just like write off green. I want to be able to you know potentially be green enough to use gilded use in addition to you know cultivate and explore type cards in addition to primal command wilderness, wilderness reclamation uh, i wouldn't be surprised if trumpeting hurt is just pretty good the, like where i look at black cards and i'm like this is a lot of garbage and a few good cards when i look at green it's like a lot of hits you know like i the green cards mostly look good to me you know timeless witness Thrag tusk tender shoot dryads even good like it's it's very solid so you know when i'm like oh i want to be green because i really like swords or i want to be white in my control decks because i really like swords to plowshares and lightning helix and doom scar it's like yeah i mean there are some white cards that i feel really really good having but there are a lot of white cards i have no interest in if i'm a control deck and there are a lot of cards that i think are just like not that good like you have your you know shelters and your Minister of Obligations and your Teferi's Protections and I don't even know why Teferi's Protections in this cube. Does anyone ever draft that card? And like there's just a lot of uh, kind of like fillery white cards. I'm interested in touching on white. I think I'm more interested in using green to fix to let me like splash white rather than being like white is a core part of my control strategy. Uh, Yeah, I don't think I'm like defaulting to Jeskai in the same way, though. Getting early white sweepers could push me to not want to be in green because green is going to push me toward more creatures. And I also feel a lot better about being in the Jeskai control space if I have those sweepers. So I think the biggest like delineation there or thing that's going to split me in terms of like, am I green or not? Is or like, am I like if I am blue red, what's my other color? We're gonna assume that it's usually not black, so then is it white or green? And I think it's like, if sweeper, then maybe white, if not sweeper, then probably green. And then the green might imply with a touch of white, like single pip white, not double pip white. Actually, that I think that it's really valuable in this cube if you're someone who's gonna be drafting more than two colors. To really, really, really clearly understand the difference between being single pip color and double pip color, and thinking about it pretty strictly, like okay, if like there, there's just a big difference between I'm playing enough white to play single pip cards and I'm playing enough white to play double pip cards, and there are a lot of times where like okay, I'm playing white for lorehold, but that doesn't mean I should imagine that I can cast Skyplay Vaporation. And for people who were watching my stream earlier, uh, there was a spot where I had essica's chariot in my deck and like i played against a vivian where chariot could get blown up and it was like well maybe you should play garrick instead of chariot well i was a single pip green mana base i wasn't a double pip green mana base so i can't bring garrick in it's like it's not one of my colors i think that that's a really useful like framework or shortcut or something to be thinking about uh your colors as you know am i main this color or little this color and that means can i play double pip cards or not next question do i have a top tier of cards i'm interested in picking pack one pick one yes but i don't have it like codified and written down or anything unfortunately it would not be easy for me to share exactly what that is how do i feel about ranger class in white green seems fine uh, it's a like it's a good aggressive card. White green I assume might have some counter synergies. I'm not really looking to be white green aggro. Like I said, there there was a cube where I, that was my default. I think that I'm pretty unlikely to be there very often in this cube, though. I don't think it, like it it does have enough stuff that I, I could see it being pretty good, but I don't think it's something that I'm going to end up like having a lot of really detailed. Experience with or thoughts about. Next question. So, no longer forcing command tribal uh, because other cards have caught up in power level. Does that mean triomes are a lower priority? I think the biggest things that may. So, I do think triomes are a slightly lower priority. And the reasons for that are I used to really, really want my mana base to be triomes, shocks, potentially the two color cycling lands, and the check lands. But the addition of the slow lands, the lands that are untapped if they're your third land or later, gives me another good untapped cycle that means that I'm less attached to the check land infrastructure because I can instead lean on the slow land plus pathway infrastructure to not have tapped lands in the late game. And then also... Because it's best of three rather than best of one, there's more incentive to have room for sideboard cards, which means prioritize lands last, which means play fewer colors. Also, because I don't, because I think I generally want to be zero pit black rather than one pit black, the black uh, triumphs are less valuable to me. So triumphs are still good, but I I would say they've fallen a an appreciable notch from where they were before for me. How good does your third color have to be to justify your loss of sideboard slots? That is not something I can speak to in general because, so basically the issue is that while you're drafting that third color, you might not know that it's your third color or you might not know, or like, you know, maybe you take a card that is in a third color because that the like opportunity, like the quality of that card seems better than the best sideboard card there. And so you just like have it and you don't have a sideboard card. Like that's just a thing that's already happened because of the pick that you made. So like a lot of basically like so much of the decisions being made before you really have the context to like weigh that trade off. And then like, I can't speak to a general principle there. It's That's going to be too individual pick dependent. How do I feel about Q the Archive as a near top tier or a pack one, pick one candidate? Tentatively, yes, I, I think that it is. I think that double color mana rock that fixes to let you cast basically any card, ramps you to the busted seven drops, and also like upgrades a card in your hand to an Archive card. I, I'm about all of that. I have been a little hesitant about four mana mana rocks because of not wanting to spend four mana on an artifact and then just have it get blown up. But the immediate value you get from the Archive uh, draw is generally pretty significant. And um, colored two mana mana rock is so much better than something like the double Mind Stone card, whatever that one's called. Is that Heatran Archive? Uh, Anyway, yeah, I, I think... I, I don't know if it's like, you know, top, top, top tier, but I know that it's very good. And I'm not saying I don't know that it's top, top, top tier because I believe that it's lower. It's I don't have a ton of experience with it in this cube yet. I think it's good. Do I have any advice on staying open versus committing, particularly in pack one? I've been drafting so much Vow. I worry I'll draft the cube like it. I think that in pack one, it is good to stay open rather than commit because the while I think that like top tier has expanded a little bit the power level disparity in the cube is still all over the place there are still some really bad cards and some really great cards and in pack one I am not inclined to pass really great cards in favor of staying open because If you have really great cards in different colors, it both gives you flexibility to choose which of those uh, you want to be, but also you might just find a way to play both. And even if they're not just different colors, they're also disparate strategies. Sometimes you'll find some weird way to bridge where you'll be interested in doing both of those things. So I think through pack one, it's very good to focus on Kind of just like take the best card out of every pack with small weightings for colors rather than heavy weightings for colors if you're not seeing really good cards and you have a really good card then taking cards in the color of your really good card to make sure that you can use it and carving out a space and staying more flexible because you know that you have this color set and you're going to be able to play that really good card is definitely better than just like, you know, all all the normal principles of drafting apply. I I know that there are other people in communities that talk about cards and letter grades. I never got into that. So um, 17 lands has given me, you know, card, like game and hand win percentage bracket, like numbers. And then I associate those with brackets. So like the kind of card that would receive like a 60% game and hand win rate score on 17 lands is like, you know, that's like premium uncommon. And then like a 58 is like a premium common. And then like a 65 is like a premium rare. So if you have like a 65% game and hand win rate cube card and then you you know the next pack has like a a 58 and in a different color and a 56 in your color i wouldn't necessarily take the 58 over the 56 because uh there are so many 60 pluses that a 58 is like better than replacement but not meaningfully the the top yeah like basically just like cube is kind of a like super bomb heavy format and you don't want to pass more bombs than you have to, but you want to let, you want to be in a, like, you just want to play as many of the, like, you know, 60 pluses as you can. And committing too early can stop you from doing that. But it's easier to play more of them if you lock in a color so that you're more flexible later. If I recall correctly, you like Bastion of Remembrance in previous versions of the cube. As uh, this iteration too high power level for Bastion? I think Bastion is a fine playable in black, but I think it's, you know, like a 56, 58 win percentage style card, not like a draw to an archetype. It's like, yeah, it's a, you know, playable black card, not a reason to be black and not something where I'm like, oh, I want to be this archetype because I might be able to table Bastion. And that that has been the case before. And that was when, like, it was a centerpiece of an archetype that was well-supported and also competitive with the other archetypes. That was not the generic arena cube. That was one of the focused names, named arena cubes. Um, so Bastion is certainly not on the level that it was when I was about it, but that doesn't mean it's an unplayable card. Could I further discuss the top power cards in the cube? Are there key attributes which make them especially powerful in the cube environment? no not really it's it's less like the most powerful cards are really just like cards that were r- like grotesque bombs in their limited formats or cards that are like legacy and modern staples it's really not that hard to figure out which the great cube cards are they're just the like really exceptional magic cards Cause cube is, you know, pretty versatile and you can do a lot of different things and it plays a lot of different ways. And especially in this cube where it's less like, oh, this is a bomb in this archetype. Like there have been more focused cubes where animation module was like a key card. This is not that kind of cube. You can go much more just like flat. How good is this as a magic card? And it'll be a very reliable guide to, is this a great cube card? How do I feel about the various signets? This is just the mana rocks that exist in this cube. They felt like hyper-hype picks uh, just below bomb priority. Uh, but probably if you have more cheap speed bumps, you could deprioritize them. I agree with that exactly. When I was all about like the five color command deck, I was also all about the like cultivators caravans and stuff like that so that I could support the mana for them and cast them early. And if I'm if I have more bolts and helixes and swords to plowshares and memory laps and counterspells, then it's way less important to have ramp. And if I'm writing off black, then five color fixing is nowhere near as good. There are still ways to draft. And decks that you can be in, where you will want to prioritize those, and where they'll make your deck like work. And like the Celestis, I think is a generally very good card. But I would definitely say that I am lower at the moment on mana rocks than I was in uh, the previous version of the this cube, cube slash cubes where I want to be uh, really about like commands. I mean, Mana Rocks are still like, you know, good, uh, but they're not like, oh, I really hope I can take a Mana Rock out of this or I hope I get past a Mana Rock. They're, you know, 58s, not 62s. Do I prioritize taking the good lands early or do I wait until I'm more sure what colors I am? I prioritize taking the good lands early if I have a reason to believe they'll help me cast my spells. So if I first pick Lorehold Command, then I'm going to take a red-white duel very, very highly. But I'm not very likely to want to, like, first pick, first pack, take a dual land because I like those colors or something. As soon as I have, you know, like, if my first two or three picks are three different colors and they work together and I'm planning to play them together, then I'm going to prioritize the good lands that let me cast all those spells very highly. So taking them over any of the like 50X percentile cards, but below any of the 60X percentile cards or game in, win rate cards. What black cards are good enough to splash? Parentheses, Scarab God, if you say so. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how into Scarab God I am. It's probably fine. Like it's, I'm sure it's not horrible to splash Scarab God, but it's not a big draw for me. Culligan's Command, Silumgar's Command, um, fine finality. Kaya, maybe Thief of Sanity, Demonic Tutor. If you're splashing other black cards, you could splash Black Removal like Heartless Act, I guess. Similar situation with like Mythos of Nathroy, Uh Valky. Um I could believe Elspeth's Nightmares in this space. A lot of the good black cards that are mono black are two pips, which makes it tough. So that's my first-pass, non-exhaustive list of answers to that question. I keep wanting the new Cosmos Elixir to be good. Would you play it or is it still bad? I have no intention of putting Cosmos Elixir in any deck. Are control decks going to want three-plus colors? A lot of the time, yes. I would say more often than not, yes, but not definitionally. What's my opinion of the power level of Elish Norn in this cube? Uh, so I haven't cast Elish Norn in this particular cube, but my opinion of the power level of Elish Norn in any cube is pretty high. I, I'm, I'm personally very into Elish Norn. I think Elish Norn's a really, really strong card. It, it's not like a holebreaker horror level, but it is, I think, exceptional. How important is learn in this cube? Sadly, doesn't exist. What would I say are the main tools to look out for for splashing? Mostly dual lands. Yeah, uh, mostly dual lands. The I think that the artifact mana that fixes is a lot better than the artifact mana that doesn't fix. Similarly, I think the green creatures that fix are a lot better than the green creatures that don't fix. So, like, I I would definitely prioritize like Gilded use over Land Elves and. I think that, you know, the Rishkars and Elvish Visionaries are like solid, but a little bit narrow. um, Where, you know, like Emergent Sequence, like I'm much higher on like Paradise Druid than Wolf Willowhaven, for example. Similarly, I like Ornithopter of Paradise, despite its vulnerability, more than I like Mindstone. Do I have any tips on how to balance the Green Ramp deck? No. You basically like you want as much ramp and s- as many sweet five drops as you can get. And the less ramp you have, the more you have to play three and four drops is roughly how I look at it. The green three and four drops are considerably lower impact than the green fives. Like there are so many great green fives like Elder Gargroth, Primal Command, Thragtusk, Tendershoot Dryad, Vivian Reed... Um Ren 7, and then you get into like your Koglas and Toblars and Ovenwold Hydras and Vorncluxes and, and then uh Hornet Queen. Like all of those cards are so good. Whereas um, you know, like Nerf Dasicus Chariot, Garrick Unleashed, Hiveheart Shaman, uh are like not as good. But you know, if you play like Oracle, Moldiah, Timeless Witness, Night Pack Ambushers and stuff, like that's fine. And they're also just like, there aren't that many green threes. So you would like to be, you know, some ramp stuff and then the awesome green expensive cards, the less ramp you have, the more you have to play some of the cheaper stuff or like splash removal in another color or whatever. So it's less look for this many of this and this many of this and more your curve should depend on how much ramp you have. And I guess, you know, you said balance rather than script, but ugh, I, I don't know how to, like, tell you the math on this many ramp spells means this many five drops, unfortunately. I, I haven't really thought through it, and it's too much by feel for me at this stage. How highly do I really value mill cards and control? Very low. Mill cards are, mill cards play one way. Like, they are only finishers. They don't keep you alive. And if I'm a control deck, my expectation is that uh, if I stay alive, I will win. That's not necessarily true because other people are also control decks and then you're fighting for inevitability. But my belief is that mill cards are essentially sideboard cards for control mirrors. And if I'm drafting my deck properly, I shouldn't want them against people who are trying to kill me because they won't keep me alive. And so like their floor is very, very low. They're, you know, it's the same reason that like Blood Hypnotist isn't a card I value highly unless I'm incredibly aggressive. I don't want cards that only do one thing and mill cards either win you the game or do nothing. And that's not what I'm looking for in my control decks and cube. Are there any synergy decks that are good in this cube? Not that I know of at this point. I think that there are some... Like, obviously, it also depends on what you count as a synergy deck. Like, is a bunch of red creatures that attack a synergy deck? Is Green Ramp, is that a synergy deck? But as far as, like, you know, like, I think Blink is, like, barely supported enough. Like, I I did just have a draft where I took Thassa early and tried to draft Blink. And it was like, yeah, I have enough. This is kind of worth doing. But it's not really even that big of a deal in terms of, like, what my deck is about. And, I mean, I've had... Draft where that happens even when it's more supported. So I don't know, maybe it can be a thing, but I'm not gonna say it isn't and you can't find one, but I should say that that's not what you should expect. I heard Demonic Pact has a high win percentage in the past. What am I supposed to do with it now? Uh, my default is avoid it because it's black, but it is a card that's reasonably powerful, particularly if you have ways to get out of it. And there are a lot of ways to get out of it. Um, One of the sweetest ones is sacrificing it to Lorehold Command to draw cards. But there are also, like, a lot of blue things that bounce it. And um, you can just, like, blow it up with Night of Autumn or Cleansing Nova or whatever. It's not... Basically, like, it gives you a lot of value and it's not that hard to get out of. But it's also very slow and very black. Um, So if you don't... uh, Like, if you don't already feel comfortable with it, I don't think that, like... You'll lose a lot if you don't bother experimenting with it this weekend. How do I feel about mono white in this cube? Can it support more than one drafter? I would be surprised if two different people can have good decks when they're both only playing white cards. There are just like too many, like, it's just hard for that to happen in any color, honestly. I, I think that with both mono white and mono red, if I have a sense that I'm trying to draft like mono that color aggro and I don't table an aggro card in that color, I need to find a new plan as soon as possible, which is likely just at that point pivoting into a two color aggro deck. How highly do I value cards like Bolt Swords that are strong, but mostly on rate? Highly, very highly. How good is artifact and or enchantment removal? Quite good. There are a lot of good artifacts and enchantments, and it's nice to be able to blow them up. Um, I value like Knight of Autumn and Reclamation Sage pretty highly. I would say Jury's still out on uh, something as dedicated as Heliod's Intervention, but I think that the the 3-1 that sacks to blow up an Artifact or Enchantment um, is actually pretty good, Uh, Cathar Commando. For Control Decks, how do you try to balance win cons, counters, and draw spells? So win cons, I just want busted rate cards that um, play well, in when I'm, like, ahead or behind. So stuff like Torrential Gear Hulk and Lorehold Command and Holebreaker Horror, not stuff like Patient Rebuilding and uh, Sphinx and Teferi's Tutelage and, you know, whatever other just, like, all I do is win the game card. And there are enough cards that are just really, really, really strong and incidentally win the game because of how strong they are. Like... Your Hulk, Shark, Typhoon, Holebreaker, Horror type cards, Scholar of the Lost Trove, that I don't think that you need to like go out of your way to like take a card that is there just to beat your opponent. The answer to your question is I don't look for a number of those. I just look for raw card quality. It's not so much like, oh, I already have two counter spells, so I'm gonna take a card draw spell over a counter spell. It's just like I think counter spell is a better card than um, Behold the multiverse. So I'll take counterspell over Behold the Multiverse. But I think Behold the Mer- Multiverse is maybe a better card than Disallow. So I would take, you know, Behold the Multiverse over Disallow. The, that stuff can change somewhat based on, but it's not only based on how many counterspells and how much card draw I have. It's also based on What's the curve of my deck? That's like the bigger thing that informs card draw. If I have a lot of cheap cards, then I want more card draw. If I have a lot of expensive cards, such that I'm not going to run out of stuff to spend my mana on, then I'm less invested in card draw. Um, Similarly, like my counter, like how many counter spells do I want is going to be more a function of like how much am I playing at instant speed versus sorcery speed. So I guess the answer is for control decks, I prioritize. Uh, vague synergies between my cards in terms of like the stuff that I was just talking about and rock hard quality rather than I want X of this and Y of that. Let's suppose you find yourself with a couple of good aggressive cards in red and white early. Do I feel more pulled toward primary red or primary white? Okay, so you're you're saying if I am a white red aggro deck, do I particularly want to be base white or base red? I don't have a lot of experience here, so I'm answering, I'm thinking through the theory on the fly. I think a lot of that is going to come down to which one has better 1cc cards. So double pip, three drops. So like History of Vanalia and Skyclave Apparition versus like Seasoned Pyromancer and Annex and um, uh, like Chandra um, and Phoenix of Ash. I guess reds double pip stuff might be slightly better because um, it also has some double pip like fours that you would, fours and fives that you would want, but it's really going to be just whichever one is more open or whichever one I've already like I already have a strong double pip version of. That's going to be much more about reading the table and the cards I have, and much less about like my general opinions of those colors. I think Ember's Shieldbreaker. So this is about the artifact and enchantment destruction. What about Ember's Shieldbreaker that doesn't destroy enchantments only artifacts? I think there are still enough artifacts. The Shieldbreaker is probably pretty good. Like I, I would default to main decking Shieldbreaker in an aggressive red deck maybe a little bit less likely to play it in just like a normal control deck or whatever. Where do you find win rate data for this cube or similar ones in the past for reference? Theoretically 17 lands, but it's really hard. You have to know the exact dates that the different cubes ran to know that you're looking at a cube that's kind of like this rather than another cube. And if you don't look at the exact right cubes, it's gonna get really messy. And also, I would take the win rate data from any cube with an enormous grain of salt. I think that, like, I love the win rate data. As anyone who's listened to any of my podcasts know, I assign a lot of weight to it. I think that the win rate data for cubes is almost not complete nonsense. I think it's really, really hard to use much of it very meaningfully. How many counters did I play in a control deck? As many good ones as I had. Is... There a Luris companion deck you can play if you get Luris early. Probably. I mean, I would just like expect to be like rather than trying to be super low curve, I would expect to be super like instant sorcery heavy. Like I, I would just try to be in the like command, like the just like the flash deck kind of space. And then you have to give up on like torrential gear hulk, but like it's It is tough to give up on the like torrential year hooks and holebreaker horrors and stuff. Um, But I could imagine some versions where it's like, oh, okay, I have like magma opus and maybe like lore hold some combination of commands and like sublime epiphany and stuff like that. And you just like make it all work with like spells and a few cheap creatures or something. Don't know if it's worth doing, but that would be one way to approach it. You also might be able to be just like, mono white or like mono black aggro with a super low curve, but I think it would be tough. Uh, I am not really sure. Haven't tried drafting it, so I am just guessing. Overall, what do I think is better, aggro or control? Uh, I think that I don't know which is better. Uh, I think that I prefer playing control and I think that aggro is likely strong when it is open. Caught up on questions, been going a little over an hour. So I'm going to wrap it up and get back to drafting. Thank you very much everyone for tuning in and asking questions and good luck to everyone this weekend. Really glad they're doing this like uh decathlon event. I was um, pretty skeptical of it when it was first announced because the prizes aren't great, but I found playing the decathlon events pretty fun and I'm really looking forward to playing the cube. So appreciate wizards running this and looking forward to it and i hope everyone else is too and i will be back next week with a return to crimson vow um so bye for now